baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. This is the Bob Cordaro Show podcast. WILK News Radio. We are back. Hour number two. The Club for Common Sense. We have convened and we will continue our meeting until noon today. Providing you a sanctuary of sanity amid the lunacy of the left. Here on Appointment Radio, the Bob Cordaro Show. We're honoring today... Veterans we lost this month, Sam Robinson, United States Army, Blakesley, George Cochis, Dunmore, U.S. Army, World War II, Richard Monroe, Kingston, U.S. Army, James Wazalewski, Humboldt, Hazel Township, United States Marine Corps, Vietnam Combat Engineer, Alan Cross, Cross, Plains Township, U.S. Air Force, one and all. It is World Down Syndrome's Day. Say a prayer for those special, special, beautiful people. It is just a couple days after the anniversary of the 30,000 pounds of bananas uh, tractor-trailer crash in Scranton that led to the song by Harry Chapin. That was on the 18th. And, of course, it is Bach's birthday. So lots going on today. But the, the one thing, and I got to hear him yesterday because I was listening on my way to Honesdale, that we didn't get to do yesterday was a new Monday Musings with John Perillo. So we're happy to do it on a Tuesday. John Perillo, welcome. <laughs> it's good to be here, Bob. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I'm fired up today as normal. Well, I'm, uh, I'm shocked. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so you've got a different subject you want to talk to us about. Yeah, yeah. If it's okay with your listeners, uh, just looking back on the Iraq War 20 years ago, and and there was an article by a gentleman named Michael Darty uh, who wrote a retrospective of it, and given my own little experience in the region and that of my family, it, it kind of got me thinking about what's now ancient history. I know 20 years is a long time ago, but you know I do think it's important that we look at it not just because of the history that it represents, but because of some of the situations we find ourselves in today. And there's probably some parallels there we ought to look at. And the first thing is, you know, Bob's heard me say this before, and I know your listeners have as well. I want to disagree with the opening premise I hear all the time, one that was echoed in the press and talking points everywhere that we never found WMDs in, in Iraq. And I always hated that assertion. And we know that Saddam Hussein used sarin gas against the Kurds in northern Iraq. That, that fact is not in, in dispute. We had the pictures to prove it. We saw the results. We found artillery shells with sarin gas in them. 
And and Saren is a WMD. Now, in fairness, we didn't find the stockpiles that we thought we would find, and nor do we find this active nuclear program that we thought we would find. But I, I just wanted to dispense with that one right up front because it's always been an irritant. It's like a, it, it, it's it like a bird under right. so, so it's, I guess, to categorize, it's that blanket statement is not accurate. Correct. Correct. And it's and, and it and, is but, it has become the talking point of the left, and I'm against the incursion. But at right, the same right. time, uh, let's be accurate about it. Do we have to win <laughs> a, the argument a hundred percent? You know, right, right. And I think I think and Bob brings up a great point because I, I, you know, again, I have a personal tie to the area, so I, I know I'm a little bit prejudiced and my thoughts here. So I want to put that up front. But one of the reasons why I want to explore this is just to talk about some of how we got in there and what happened after we got there. So in addition to the WMD discussion, Donald Rumsfeld, uh, you know, talked about the WMD issue as a public relations error. Now, he didn't talk about it as a mistake. He talked about it as a PR error. I just thought that was interesting. And, you know, I, and, and by the way, and also none of this is meant to disparage anything in the military, or even those in the government at, at the time, right? I think everybody was trying to do the best with the information that they had. And in the military, we have this tradition of, of, of a review after action, we call it an after action report. And in that, you review your actions, you, you try to determine what you might have changed, and hopefully you do this to prevent making mistakes in the future. And you do this after every single operation. It's a very important part of good leadership is to acknowledge when you made a mistake so you don't, you don't, um, you don't repeat it. And one of the things that's interesting about that war is it really was a preemptive war, and as such is one of the first of its kind. And that's a key point. You know, Bush Jr. said something along the lines of, and I have his quote here, if we wait for the threats to materialize before we intervene, we've waited too long. And so, and then in, in 1992, right after the first Gulf War, the Secretary of Defense was, was Dick Cheney, and Dick Cheney, in his defense planning guidance uh, document, uh, said that something we needed to prevent uh, was the emergence of any rival and that we needed to prevent any potential rival from pro- controlling any strategic region. And in Cheney's defense, also, that makes sense. I mean, you wouldn't want your enemy in control, for instance, of your oil supply or your or critical ships or the Panama Canal or the Suez Canal or any critical and, part and by of, the way, of the world. Uh, just to step in, uh, in 1992... The Middle East was absolutely essential to us. The, the the miracle of fracking meant that the United States was not capable at that time of being energy independent. We needed the Middle East. That's a that's an excellent and a critical point. You know, I think we take our energy independence, and we really could be if we wanted to be completely independent. We take that kind of for granted. But at, in, at the time, post ninety one ninety two. We we were importing a, the vast majority of our oil from the Middle East, and, and as Bob said, this was absolutely critical. Um, and in, in, in Cheney's defense guidance, he went on to say that we need to display enough leadership in that region to convince our rivals that they'd be wasting their time to do anything that threatened our strategic interests. And again, that's not unreasonable. You, know, you think about peace through strength, or you know. And, and the other thing you have to think about this is in content, in the context of the nine eleven attacks. It's easy to say it was a mistake with benefit of hindsight, but those, you know, 9-11 was a recent, was recent history at that point. The wounds were very, very raw. And when Rumsfeld later became Secretary of Defense, he said something along the lines of, we have a choice. We can either change the way we live, which is unacceptable, 
or to change the way they live, and we choose the latter. And that, and the, I wanted to hone in on that statement a little bit because that's a very bold statement. And, and part of the reason why we started Monday Musings and part of the reason why Bob and I have began this discussion with some of, the, some of the history of the Hebrews and the philosophies that brought about our Constitution is that, you know, my point in doing that was that when I, I believe the statements like what, what Rumsfeld said, that we, can, we have to change those in that region, um, d- display kind of a, a major under- misunderstanding of what Plato, Aristotle, the Hebrews, um, and, and the radical equality of the New Testament, uh, what they brought to our country. And you can't change the way they lived, again, to use this phrase, no matter who the they are, unless they have the prerequisites in place for that to happen. And I, again, I believe Mr. Rumsfeld was a brilliant man. But even he, as a brilliant man, man, failed to understand that they weren't changeable. It's not a matter, you know, for those of us who are Christians, it's not a matter of not believing that they have the same Christian divine dignity that we do. It's that their society didn't have the prerequisites of Western civilization that we had and, you know, sometimes take for granted. But, you know, but all the way back to our story, you know, the amazing irony of the whole affair is that we actually partially achieved the twin goals that he sent forth, and the first one was that preemptive preemptive strike to make sure that we weren't hurt, and the second was establishing democracy in the Middle East. But we did so at great cost to our country. And so early on, even after 9-11, the Bush administration uh, then and said that— And by the way, stri- very, very important to note uh, that democracy, or some form thereof, I think is more accurate, is not always— in the United States' best interest, <laughs> right? Which it depends is, which is on the country, it depends on the culture. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and, and that's, a, that's a great point. And, and, and you know, last Monday, music. I, I think we I made the comment about FDR on Samosa saying he he may be a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch, right? There are times when we deal with tyrants because the world has tyrants, and 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 you can't change everything you don't like. So what do you do? You ha- you have interests, and you have to put those the interests of your country forth. And work around those places where you might prefer to have a different outcome, but you don't. And so, um, and, and back to and Bush said that that after 9/11 we had to strike Afghanistan, but that that strike was not sufficient. That the the Iraq War, which which came right on the heels of our Iraq, of our Afghanistan invasion, was designed to display our power and simultaneously with the, displaying our power, also display our benevolence. Right? We were going to topple Saddam and leaving this place something better and something that was compatible with our own Western civilization, which Iraq under Saddam clearly was not. And again, I would point out that most of our leaders barely understood or, or, or maybe articulated is a better word. Maybe they did understood what made Western civilization worth imposing on somebody else. It, it, we don't even understand that. And now we're going to go and try to impose it someplace else. So, you know, the theory was that if we could create something like Western civilization in the Middle East, even though we substitute the word democracy for the concept of Western Civ, to, to, to go back to Bob's point, uh, we would make Iraq a place that was inhospitable to Islamic terror. And that was his goal. And it's a wonderful goal. Don't get me yep. wrong. Yep. But I would argue that in retrospect, it wasn't really achievable. <laughs> that's, um, then that's the key. You could have all the girl, goals, all the hopes, all the dreams. But when right. they meet reality... <laughs> You've got to say, what will that look like? And and Bush, 
and Cheney and Rumsfeld did not do that analysis. Right. I think that's correct. You know, and, and historically, if we look back at that, um, there was a gentleman writing at the Weekly Standard named Max Boot. Back at the time, who said that bringing democracy to Iraq would be a pivotal moment, just like the fall of the Berlin Wall. And that the region would begin to transform for the and, better. And, 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 Mac, and Max Boot has been wrong about everything ever since. <laughs> and, then, and then, too, right? So, you know, and, and remember that when we went into Afghanistan, our goal was to destroy al-Qaeda as it existed at the time and to punish the Taliban for hosting them. And we did that. You know, it, it was a military operation that, in, in the parlance of the military, we like to say, involves putting warheads on foreheads and breaking lots of stuff. And, and, and that's what our military is trained to do, and they're very, very good at it. But changing the way they live, to go back to Donald Rumsfeld's phrase, meant that we could never leave. And, and, and you know, I, I have uh, relatives and friends who have fought in that region, and, and, and their mission was extraordinarily more difficult than my mission was in Gulf War One, which was really just to break things. Right? Go in, break as much as you need to break to, to make sure this thing ends, and then leave. We asked these young people to go over there and not only break things and put warheads on foreheads, but then to fix it. And, but, and, but, and remember the he, other component to what Rumsfeld did, the other major mistake he did, and as did the State Department, they dismantled the Sunni ruling class. They dismantled the army and the bureaucracy, which were primarily Sunni. Right. Uh, and And they also... Just try try to impose a, a democracy on a country that had, as you were saying earlier, had no experience with it whatsoever. None. Right. And and Bob brings up a, a critical point there, too. So all we wound up doing by dismantling bathism and by putting different groups in charge, we essentially created a quota system. And what we did is we showed the, the, the population that the only difference between the tyranny and the theft because essentially they were living under a despot at the time under Saddam Hussein and Americans was that the only different people get the money, right? Because we shuffled the deck and we said, okay, now we're going to throw money at development. And, and, and we, you know, we wound up calling those who are our allies moderate and those who are our enemies we called extreme. And, and really at the end of the day, with, with the exception of, of some of the troops on the ground, I don't know that we knew the difference. Yeah. In fact, the differences didn't matter. It only mattered who supported us for however long they did and who was opposed to us. And that's how we, we wound up working on that. And, well, and, 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 and think <laughs> of the other flaw in the strategy, not the strategy writ large, but the, the immediate strategy of Rumsfeld. He thought he was going to do occupation light. Right. <laughs> you need a right, lot right. more troops to occupy than you do to win. <laughs> right. And, then that's, and that's a, another great point. It was a... There's a quote that I wish I could remember who said it, and I apologize to your listeners, I don't. But there was a, the article was published back a while back, right around this time. And it was titled along the lines of, When People Freely Choose Tyranny. And I want to remind your listeners, in 2006, there was a Palestinian election. Um, and the Palestinians almost overwhelmingly voted for Hamas. And, and, you know, when, when, the, um, when we had the revolutions that happened in, in Egypt and places like that, and, and what, what comes to power through democracy can be as bad as what comes to power through tyranny. And we, and we have to go back to our Plato and remind ourselves that people vote for their tribe. 
And that straight democracy, without the benefits of the republic in our constitutional system, just leads to, you know, two lions and a lamb voting over who's for dinner. Right? And it's a bad situation to be in. So, <laughs> I, and I would point out that after, after our efforts to, you know, uh, put in what I would call kind of a tribal quota system within Iraq, Chris, the Christian community in that country declined by 80%. And so even to the extent that when we actually were able to get rid of tyrants, things went badly. If you, you remember Gaddafi in Libya and, yep. and the disaster that was, not just to Libya, but to our, to our American troops there. Um, and what happened was that you know, Lib- Gaddafi was actually terrified of what happened to Saddam and was largely cooperating with the U.S. when that went down. And I would point out that, you know, and Qaddafi was a horrible person. I'm not, I'm not defending him. No, but, but every- he was doing what we wanted. He had caved, Correct. and then we threw Correct. him out anyway. And it's like, right. what's exactly. the advantage to any despot to work with us because we're going to go back on our word anyway? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Precisely the point, right? Because every other despot that we were trying to get rid of, you know, uh, I think of Syria, I think of everywhere else in that area, looked at us and said, this is the ally that he was to Gaddafi. And as Bob said, he was largely compliant is probably the right and, word. And by the way, and, uh, uh, and it's when you, take, when you take Assad in Syria as a perfect example, it isn't Assad himself who wants to give up power and will accede to our wishes. The people around him say... We better hang on because it's not going to end up well for us either. <laughs> exactly, and 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 that actually brings me to the, to a closing comment I'd like to make on this because it matter. I think this matters to us today. So, no matter how well-meaning our intent was, we invaded a sovereign nation in Iraq who might have been a threat to us, and I actually think that it was, but who had not yet committed any aggression. And again, I, I'm going to say it again. I think Iraq was a threat. And we know that he had WMDs no matter what, how many times the contrary gets stated. But I will, stated, but I will point out that when Putin invaded Ukraine, he used exactly the same language that we used yeah. prior to our invasion of Iraq. Speaking of, he, in talking of the offer that NATO, NATO had made to Ukraine, Putin said, we can't stand idly by and passively observe these developments. And again, I admit I'm biased here because I spent time in the region. You know, the idea that my son is in the, was in the same place that I was 20 years before, before he was born. Uh, and then 20 years later, you know, he's there. Yeah, but that I mean, those kind of things has created wisdom, and that's why we have you we, on. <laughs> we hope. We hope some of it, yeah. along with gray hair and a lot of creaking. So, <laughs> but I, I, again, I appreciate you, you, your time, Bob, and that of your listeners, and, and I appreciate you allowing me to take this little walk back in you know my history and the history of our country. And, and my point being that our lesson should be that we should hold on tightly to those prerequisites of our republic that we have, and not to presume that everybody else has them. That, that's, yeah, that's my right. bottom line in this whole point. John Perillo, thank you very much. And, and, and it's just what you have been saying. We, it took us a year to go through the prerequisites of thought that led to our Constitution and to assume that any culture or any country constructed as uh, Iraq was or, or Afghanistan can absorb this and then be successful is... <laughs> 
it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but yeah, I am so and, happy and, with the, I, I enjoyed the the Monday musings on a Tuesday, John Perillo. We look forward to being back to our regular day uh, for Monday musings next week. And thank you again to you and your listeners, Bob. You know I appreciate your time. You guys right. have a great day and uh, kick it out there. All right, man. Thank you, John Perillo. Monday musings. We'll be back. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from meteorologist Joe Snedeker. Today, sunny, high of 57, partly cloudy, low of 35 this evening. Tomorrow, partly sunny with more clouds by afternoon, high of 58. Thursday, scattered showers. The high will be 58 as well. Friday, some showers, clouds, and sun, high of 53. And then Saturday, steady rain, high of 50. So we degrade as the week goes on. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Bob Cadaro back with you here on WILK, the Club for Common Sense. It has convened. We are providing a sanctuary of sanity for all of you, as well as myself, here on Appointment Radio, the Bob Cadaro Show. Uh, it is World Down Syndrome Day. Proud to announce those beautiful people who we love and who love us as we honor some other people that we love Veterans we lost, Sam Robinson, U.S. Army, out of Blakesley. George Cochis, out of Dunmore, U.S. Army, World War II. Richard Monroe, out of Kingston, U.S. Army. James Wazalewski, Humboldt, Hazel Township, USMC, Vietnam Combat Engineer. Alan Cross, Plains Township, U.S. Air Force. Thank you one and all to them posthumously and their families. We appreciate it very much. So we've had some great texts on this, and it's a back and forth. And I, I've got to tell you, not only – I cannot understand why anyone in their right mind would support the Democrat Party and Joe Biden. I can understand why people would support Trump despite his faults. And the reason I could understand that is that I can support him if he's the only conservative nominee. So we're not as far off as you think, even though some of you get angry with me. For, But guys, you can't be... You cannot be blind Democrats in reverse. Willfully ignorant of his faults and his foolishness and his childishness. You can't be. Understand the faults so you can make a reasoned decision when these Republican primaries come around. Now, it may not come down to Pennsylvania. But nevertheless, it's important that we have some discernment 
as we watch the candidates coming forward. And I will tell you, if you watch Ron DeSantis closely, particularly in his performance as governor and how he handles the slings and arrows, I think more people will go for Ron DeSantis in the primary than Donald Trump because Donald Trump is going to get more childish and more shrill as he sees the possibility of losing a primary. Now, the shame of that is that's going to hurt whoever the candidate is in the fall, including himself, if he was to prevail. But I've had enough of his childishness. I've had enough of his silliness. I've had enough of his distractions. And I'll take the crazy uncle Donald Trump in a general election over the sick, twisted mental patient Joe Biden any day. And if it's Gavin Newsom, (laughs) twice as much. These are sick, twisted people. These are anti-American people. So let's have a spirited primary. Please, Donald Trump, shut your stupid mouth talking about fellow Republicans. And let's have a good primary. That's where I'm at. And then after that, conservatives and normal people can elect the president of the United States who will probably be the Republican nominee, whoever that is. We have to do that. The country's on the line. It's enough of a cult of an individual. It really is. Clive from Beaumont. How are you, Clive? Good morning. I agree with everything you've been saying for the last several minutes. And, you know, I I see, see disaster on the horizon for the Republicans next year. And, and I reluctantly say that, but that's the way I see it. If Trump doesn't get the nomination, he's going to go on a temper tantrum and possibly a third-party run. Uh, I don't know, but it, it, it's not going to be a pretty picture. And uh, people apparently are okay with what the Democrats are doing in this country today. And what I base that on is the results of last year's election, when the Republicans, who were projected, predicted, to make a big red wave, got shellacked. Americans are happy when they have money in their pocket, and today Americans have lots and lots of money. They don't care about the debacle in Afghanistan. They aren't even that concerned about inflation. As long as they got money and they have lots of it, that's the overriding factor. Yeah, you're right. And that's scary. That's scary, Bob. Well, That's what the Club of for Common Sense convenes every day for, to call things out the way they are, and then we trust people to make the right decision after they hear all the facts. And I mean actually not just hear, but listen to all the facts. And uh, I, I'm, I'm a perpetual uh, optimist, but I will tell you, Clive, you've been right more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Thanks. I, I, and I, you're probably right, but and, and I'm not boasting. But uh, you know, these these I, I just see these things, and I see what plays out. You know, case in point, I'll use one example: the election last year for governor in uh, uh, Michigan. Uh, this Whitmer, how does she was one of the most? 
yeah, punish the people, shutdowns, lockdowns. She went to Florida. Her husband uh, uh, got his boat out of storage during the pandemic when everything was shut down. Uh, protesters in the state capitol. And yep. they have, the voters had a chance to make a change. And what happens? She trounced Tudor Dixon by 11 points. And, and then you have then you yeah. have Kathy Hochul in New York, whoever I forget yes. the name of the woman who won in Arizona, and you say to this to yourself, is there and and there may be, there is a substantial psychosis among American voters. Is it a mass yes. psychosis that's going to overwhelm and destroy this country? It's possible. It's happened before. It's happened to great empires before. And, you know, <laughs> I fear it now. I truly do, Clive. Well, we're both in agreement on that, and, and I'd like to be more optimistic, but I just can't, Bob. But let's keep up the fight. Let's keep up the oh, fight. Always. Myself always. as an optimist, you as a pessimist, and you as being mostly correct, and me as being mostly incorrect. <laughs> We've got to <laughs> forge on together, Clive. Thank you very much, Absolutely. my friend. Appreciate it. We'll take this break and be back. Bob Cadaro on the eponymous show. We'll be back. One of my favorite Beach Boy songs. Sloop John B. This date, 1966. How about that? Bob Cadaro with you. Hey, back to um, Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, March 21st. She says, true love is about giving and giving until it hurts. She's, uh, it's quite amazing that somebody could be profound. I mean, she's a saint. Granted. No, she's a saint. And deservedly so, but she's just quite amazing, absolutely amazing each and every day. It truly is. Uh, Frank is on hold. I want to talk to him from Wilkesbury. I want to talk to him, but I've, he's gonna. I want to hold over Frank because in case we get into a good argument, you've been awful lately. You've been way off. But in case we get into a, a good argument. I want to have time to, to have that argument. Sam Robinson, U.S. Army, Blakesley. George Cochis, U.S. Army, World War II, Dunmore. Richard Monroe, U.S. Army, Kingston. James Wazalewski, U.S. Marine Corps, Vietnam Combat Engineer. Humboldt in Hazel Township. Alan Cross, U.S. Air Force. Plains Township. We honor them one and all. And, uh, man. Hey, the, the banking thing's not going away, just so you know. The Jamie Dimon put a, together a group for this Republic Bank out of San Francisco. Another woke bank failing miserably because they pursued an ideology instead of a business plan. $30 billion put together by banks on deposit. And the stock is still flailing and failing. We'll keep our eye on it. And that's what Bloomberg Moneyman is for. We'll be back. March 21st, 1967. 
The Turtles released their great song and hit single, Happy Together. I was with Murph, who bartends at Regnacci's. And I, I watch him do this, and I was a beer tender at Regnacci's decades ago. And I say beer tender because, uh, you know, if you didn't know what was in it, you didn't get it. But he was just masterful. He's taking orders. He's doing this. He's doing it. Fulfilling the drinks at the bar. Fulfilling the drinks. And the place is packed. I mean, they're lined up to, you know, to get tables. Uh, and, and by the way, deservedly so. My friend Bobby Regnacci used to be my football coach. Uh, man, Ragnacci's is fabulous. It really is. And, uh, yeah, so we had a great night. Cutie and I sat at the bar with uh, Mr. Paul and and some a, a number of other friends running into all, all different kinds of people we knew. And it was just, it was a great, it was a great Saturday night. It really was. And, uh, yeah, Murph can not only mix the music, he can mix the cocktails. And I didn't get anything fancy. I just had wine. But still, he's, he's that good. And I watch him. And I could, by the way, as a bar patron and as a former beer tender, I could tell when somebody is a good bartender. Murph is great. And then, of course, Rags was great and food was great. Everything about it. Uh, what a great stop that is, Ragnacci's. I almost forgot to talk about it. Rags might not have let me back in if uh, I had forgotten. But let's go to the phones. Kirk from Nantico. Kirk, how are you? Great. Yourself? Oh, good. All's well. Well, the truth I'm calling is because I just like your music. That's all I want to know. Um, <laughs> you got to thank Murph for that. I love it. That's oh, why I, I played I even a little extra too. long. I think it captures <laughs> it captures Kirk the moods, and and it I don't know. It's evocative of the time frame in which the music came out for a lot of us. It's good stuff. I I, I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, one of my first comments I want to make, uh, the gentleman I called a little while ago about uh, people having money in their pockets. I, I actually involved in a few different businesses over the years, and right now I have two. And I have a small party business in Nanny Coke, uh, birthday parties and graduations and things. And then uh, my main business uh, partnership is in Connecticut. We make hypodermic needles and stents and so forth. Wow. And when, what happens now is uh, we... At our party By the way, Kirk, here. thank you for making yeah. making them in America. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> and even all our all our parts are made in America. Too. Wow, we have machines. We make everything in our in our. Oh, country. that's a big deal. Uh, well, my father started this company's over my with my my best friend's father years ago, and we just carried on. I'm a 65 year old man. So anyhow, uh, getting back to the party thing, when I when I look at the cash thing, we used to two or three years ago. It seems like there used to be uh, three quarters that people would pay cash for their parts. Well, and now, now it seems like two or three credit cards are being paid at the, you know, at the business all the time now where people can't afford, uh, one, one particular person can't afford to pay it. And I feel bad for people. I mean, they want to do the things, but party business is not the first, uh, first thing in people's mind when the economy is bad. But th- getting back to the cash situation, I think that people have the cash uh, like they used to have. Let's put it that way. Uh, Kirk, do you see in your business experience? Do you? I, I'm I'm thinking there's no way it can be avoided. 
they've got to be hitting the wall with inflation. They've been losing ground for three years now. Exactly, and that's why I don't know where that comes from. But but that's my the other things we we when the COVID nineteen hit. Our medical firm, we got pulled in by the Trump organization other than another firm out of Colorado to make the COVID-19 needles, which we don't normally do because China makes the majority of this stuff. And because, uh, you know, they weren't going to support us, I mean, you know, give us our needles, and we had to take it on. And we worked, you know, the shift, three shifts 24-7 to do our part of it. And, uh, and then we had it taken away from us about a little over a year and a half ago, and uh, they gave it back, I imagine, back to uh, China. Uh, which huh. doesn't make any sense to me yeah. at, at all. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> uh, word. But and, and that's the thing. But I'm going to add a few, just a few more things, if I may. Yes. Um, wh- what happens here is um, uh, I, I have locations. We have locations in California, you know, Colorado, uh, you know, Arizona. We had different locations all over the place. And I had a drilling and blasting firm, and I had them in all those as well. So what we did, um, I got to see things firsthand when I look at, uh, you know, the wall and not being built and, and crime and all that stuff. And, and it, it's all over the place. I just don't, I, and I know why they're doing it. And, you know, as far as uh, not coming down, taking things firsthand, but I, I want people, it's hard for me to listen to somebody that hasn't seen it firsthand. You know, I don't, the secondhand, thirdhand, uh, you know, conversations just kind of drive me through the wall. Uh, you have to see it firsthand. And I see it in Connecticut where we had, our, our place three years ago, we're outside of New Haven, Connecticut. Our place uh, we used to have no police officers there. Every We have police officers escorting our people to their cars. Uh, and because it's gang-ridden, MS-13s, it's all over the place. And this is Connecticut. When you say Connecticut, everybody's wealthy in Connecticut. People have no clue. I mean, you know, it's either one side or the other. There's no middle class, I think, left in Connecticut at all, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. So uh, those are my things. And, uh, you know, and... Uh, and then the only other thing, if I wasn't doing this type of business, uh, I could have been a professional basketball player, and only two things held me back was my height and talent. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, you deserve reparations. <laughs> yeah. You never got the NBA salary. Uh, you deserve reparations. I, we'll we'll no, get in touch with Gavin Newsom. <laughs> You hurt my feelings. I'm, uh, you hurt my feelings. Uh, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> but it's a pleasure talking to you. You keep up the good work, okay? Thank you, Kirk. Keep slugging away. And you keep up the good work. It's actually more important than what I do. Keep people employed well, and keep making America great. We're going to do what we can. And thank you for taking me on, too. All right, Kirk. Thank you. We'll take this break. We'll be back after the news. WYLK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 